On this episode of Ashes 613, I talk with author and podcast host Jennifer Carr about micro-expressions, Chilton County peaches, and the self-publishing market. Stay tuned to hear Jennifer talk about what it feels like to be on the other side of a podcast mic, and she tells us about her Christian fiction book series, No Matter What. Can you hear me? I can. <laughs> okay, thank you. Was um <laughs> Hi, you're not going to believe this. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Yes. Hi, it's nice to meet you. It's nice to so, meet you too. The microphone was muted. We're not It happens to the it. best of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking around the settings I can't figure out. I uh, yeah. <laughs> That's the way it nope. goes. Hey, and sometimes it's better to be muted than not muted. I had one guy who totally, he signed on before I did, which is very rare because I'm usually, you know, 15 minutes early, but I don't know how long he'd been there. He signed on before I did. And I hear, babe, there's a wasp. Give me this water. And I'm like, what is going on? Like he didn't have it muted or anything. I was like, at least that's all it was. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic though. Yeah. I'm always, I had the music pumping and he was like can you turn that music you still have your music on I'm like all right okay okay so yes. you didn't get to hear any of that yeah so I'm usually early too I usually sit down here and leave the it'll just look like this but at mm -hmm. least people know like okay well she's on her way but it's one of those days you know sometimes yeah. you just fly in so I do know I do know <laughs> you do because it's taken us a minute to even coordinate our schedule so you are a busy bee a little bit. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. September is a lot slower. August was, there was an interview just about every day that I was doing. And, but September I set aside to do not podcast interviews for like my podcast. And so I was like, yeah, so well, it's September. Tell, <laughs> tell me about your podcast. What do you do? Let's talk about uh, that. Sure. It's called Connected Conversations for Creatives. It's really just a place where I bring creatives onto the show, whether they're artists or authors, or like this week's episode is an entertainment lawyer because she works with creatives. Um, last week was a, a Hollywood film director. It just depends on, you know, who's available and who wants to sit down and have a conversation and we get to know each other. But then we talk about, um, you know, like some of the challenges that we face and the goal is to like provide encouragement for people who might be like, I can't do this. And it's like, like, listen, we all started somewhere. You can do this. I promise. <laughs> hey, that's kind of like what I wanted to do. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm just bringing on creative people. But, you know, my story kind of the same, a little bit different. I'm from Eastern Kentucky. I don't live there now, but that's where I'm from. And my Facebook feed is just full of these um, indie artists and musicians and sculptors and hat makers. And I thought, how cool would this be? if we could just have a podcast where we could just bring on creative people and talk about your struggle from your struggle to your success, or if you're anywhere in between, maybe you're still struggling, maybe you're successful, or maybe you're somewhere between, and we could all just kind of encourage each other and be there, but you're right. Who you have on is whoever will give you an hour of their time and sit down with you. So thank you so much for an hour of your time. Oh, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. It's not, it's not often I get to be on this side of things. So it's kind of nice. <laughs> right. So you'll have to then send me an email later and tell me like, this is what I liked and this is what I didn't like and this is what you could be, do better because I am new to this. And so I really 
Um, I want, I like creative criticism and also like encouragement. So be, yeah. be nice. <laughs> oh, of no, course, but, you know, but that, yeah, no, like be, be nice. And then tell me like, Oh, I like this, but I didn't like that. No, I'm just, you know, but I am always <laughs> open for suggestions. I'm asking people like, Hey, what do you think we should do? Or how do you think we can make this yeah. better? Um, you know, I think it says in uh, one of the Proverbs says, um, a wise man receives instruction, but a fool what you know ignores instruction ignores and tries it. to do everything That's by right. himself and mm-hmm. so i don't often brag on myself but i recently in the last five years realized that i like taking advice and i seek advice especially from successful people i try to look at who's doing what i want to do and just go to them and say hey what can I do? And, you know, even parenting that goes back to my parenting. I found the most successful mothers and the ones that did not scream, that didn't hit, that weren't disheveled, the ones that were raising good kids. And I said to them, what are you doing? And this is a problem I'm having. How would you have handled this? And I've always done that. And I realized going through life that not a lot of people, most people don't like advice and right. And I, And so I realized that that is one of my personality traits. And I thanked God. I was like, you know what? I appreciate that. I like to learn. (laughs) Yes. And you know what? That if if you, if people would accept advice as an opportunity for learning, but instead they take it as you don't think I'm good enough. You don't think I'm smart enough. You don't think I'm adequate. And so, you know, they take advice as personal criticism. Whereas, you know, for the most part, if I'm going to offer up advice, it's because I care and I want to see you do the best that you possibly can, you know, but uh, too often I don't always take advice as learning opportunities either. It depends on my mood. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, we're we're women, that's our prerogative, (laughs) right? right? Well, just something simple. Here's a a cilantro story. I learned on, on Facebook or Instagram, somehow on the internet, six or seven years ago, cilantro, it rots two days after you bring it home, it's in your fridge, it's rotten. And they said, if you'll wrap it in a paper towel, put it in a Ziploc bag, that absorbs the water and it won't rot. Girl, even if the paper towel gets wet, if you take it out and you wrap it in dry paper towel, you can keep cilantro fresh for months in the refrigerator. I love that. And I was like, well, that's a problem I have. I'm going to do that. So I had a little friend and she was like, "Miss cilantro is at her house and it's always rotten. She threw it away. And I told her that little thing and I moved on, you know. And so then I'm at her house again, maybe six months later, and she's fussing again about the cilantro. And I said, um, but I, but I told you what to do about that. And she was like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And she had something to say. And I realized in that moment, she's not going to do it. She's not going to wrap that cilantro in those paper towels. Why? Why wouldn't she do it? (laughs) Because I was so quick to go. Right. I was so quick to go, oh, cool. Let me do that. And I thought, wow, what? I, you know, just such a simple thing. But yeah, people, they do, they take it as like personal. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, how's your week been? Let's talk about you a minute. Enough about cilantro. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's a lot. That's a good, that's a very good topic. Like being able to accept help when it's offered, like what was it going to cost her but a paper towel and a plastic bag to find out, you know? Yeah, I couldn't. (laughs) That was my, I thought it was a valid question. Like I was not from an attitude standpoint, was genuinely interested in why. Cause like I said, I realized by her flipping me, you know, just like her flippant attitude with me, just brushing me off, like, she's actually not going to do this. She's not going to wrap the cilantro. And my valid question was, but why? 
What's it gonna hurt? Oh my god. I've gosh. started doing that with all leafy greens. Girl, if you put a paper towel in a bag, if the lettuce, the spinach, the kale, any kind of leafy green, it absorbs the moisture. After a week, you can reach in there and that paper towel is real wet. I throw it out, I put a new one in. It has changed my life and my vegetable storage. <laughs> And you don't waste money. You're not throwing money away with your groceries. <laughs> because a, well, one paper towel is way cheaper than yes. the vegetables. Yes, absolutely. It was life changing. I don't know who, who discovered it, but well, I'm thankful. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. So, well, to answer your question, it's been, it's been a week, like it is Wednesday and, um, I'm, I'm having it was it was a long weekend right so this is technically Tuesday even though it's Wednesday so exactly exactly yeah. so where are you at in the world right now I'm in Alabama we live in central Alabama oh I was raised in well okay so let's say raised we moved when I was little from Kentucky to Shelby County Alabama um do you okay. know where Pelham I'm in is Calera. at yes I live in Calera I grew up in Helena but you're in Calera <laughs> So see, we're family then. But let me tell you, my dad's family is from Danville, Kentucky in the Danville, (gasps) Kentucky area. So it's crazy. Okay. We probably are related then. We won't talk about that. Everybody in Kentucky is related. (laughs) We don't talk about that side of the family. We don't talk about, right. That's the Kentucky side. We're all related. I had Renata Riley on. She's this world famous chef and found out she's from like where I'm from. I'm like, oh, we're related. (laughs) She said, I hope we are. Seriously, I will pick and choose and be fine if you're from Kentucky, but you know, right. we don't talk so, about that. Side. So funny. So I'm like half Alabama, half Kentucky too. So we're, <laughs> we're half sisters in that half and half. So Whole world. Calera, looky here. So when I was a teenager, the Waffle House in Alabaster was where the crack dealers hung out. Now you remember that. Now that's a true story. That's, we didn't got, go there. Nobody went there. Nobody went to Alabaster. This place, Alabaster, Calera, all down through there is huge now. It's beautiful. Yes. There's so much development. I was just through there last year, last fall, and I was lost. And I thought, yeah. how am I lost? I grew up here. <laughs> My first job yeah. was at the Galleria and Hoover. Like, I grew up here. How am I lost? What do you think that's about wild. all that's happened in 15 years? Well, we moved here about five years ago. We've always lived in the Birmingham area. We lived north of downtown for um, the first half of our marriage. And then about five years ago, well, more than the first half, I guess. But then five years ago, um, we moved south of downtown because my husband's parents retired to and uh, to be close to my brother-in-law who owns a vet clinic in Pelham. And so, you know, we're trying to keep the family close. They're getting to that age where, you know, being near parents is is important. And so um, we went looking for property and the one and only property available was 15 minutes from his parents' new house. And it had everything we were looking for except central air, which we took care of last year, but... (laughs) Perfect. It was, uh, yes. yeah, you know, it, very important in Alabama, but um, very. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like it was a godsend, and so we have been here. Right. Um, for so five, you don't but... remember, you don't remember the old stomping days of the Waffle House and Alabaster, and the you didn't never go down to. I was going to ask you if you've been down to Clanton cruising, but you didn't go down to. 
<laughs> no, prison. but you know, just in the, even just in the last five years, I think um, Alabaster and Pelham both have been named like the top 50 cities in Alabama, or maybe they, one of them might've even been America to live. And then the school systems are, are so great. So it has just changed a lot, but it is growing yes. in leaps and bounds and it's almost I overwhelming know. because people and infrastructure, yes. they're not equal. <laughs> Right. It was, I was blown away. Yeah, like, I it's can't wild. believe. And I called my mother and said, Hey, you know, you should have kept your house. I've been worth <laughs> 10 times as much yes. now. Like, Oh, you should have yes. sold that. But what an amazing Crazy. place. What an amazing place to grow up. I loved every minute of Shelby County and those Chilton County peaches. I know I tell people, because I've also lived in Georgia and they say Georgia's the peach state, but you have not eaten a peach until you've eaten a Chilton County, Alabama peach. That, that I mean, exactly they're thick. Right. <laughs> the juice, the juice runs down and drips off your elbows. You have to eat it over the skin. <laughs> Listen, yeah. we go down to Peach Park. We're low, you know, we're locals and we go down to Peach Park right. and Durban Farms just for the, the produce. I mean, Walmart has nothing on them. <laughs> nothing. That's what I, I've been telling. I've been preaching that for 25 years and people talk about peaches. I'm like, you have to eat a Chilton County yes. peach. You have to. And when you yes. go, you know, through Clanton, they have that giant peach as their water tower or something. That's it's it. awesome. So I have a, I have a little farm, just 10 acres is not much in um, the Panhandle. So like an hour North of Panama city beach. So I'm still like, I'm not there right now. I'm in Northeast Iowa, it's a completely different world up here. But yeah. um, I still have, oh, so different. You can't, everything, my, the people are magnificent. I mean, just amazing people. So you hear all these stories about Midwesterners being polite and they are, they're amazing. The food is, well, it's just not Southern food, you know? Different. So like everything has sugar in it. So they made this, um, this uh, pasta salad recently and they said um, it had pepperoni and salami and, of course, the curly noodles, the onions and the green peppers and the mushrooms and the black olives. And I was really excited about this pasta salad. And, and then the man that made it said, and then a can of sweetened condensed milk poured over all of that and stirred up. And I was like, well, he lost me right there because we would probably put like some olive oil in a package of dry Italian seasoning on that right and called that or some olive garden salad. dressing whatever so you know <laughs> I have some right there in my kitchen some olive garden dressing uh -huh. so I have never in my mind never combined eagle brand sweetened condensed milk with pepperoni but that doesn't mean it's wrong it just means I've never done it it's not Southern. So tell me about, you do a podcast. What else does Jennifer do? <laughs> um, depends on the day. No, um, actually it really kind of does. So um, before I moved into podcasting and book writing, uh, I was marriage and family counselor and I taught AP psychology in high school. And, um, and then I decided one day, I think I'm going to write a book. And so I've written a few books and um, then I was like, I think I'm going to start a podcast to kind of, you know, secondary income, that kind of thing. And just to create a network because it was a new right. world, like, you know, writing That's a book, it. publishing your own work and stuff. And so, um, I decided I was going to do that. Um, so back in 
2021, uh, I had a dream that I woke up from and I was like, well, doggone it. I don't know how that ended. And I wanted to know how the dream ended because it was a good story. Like there was just a lot to it. And uh, I've always been like a daydreamer and um, a, a, a reading junkie on top of that. And so like, I needed to know it was just a really gripping story. And so I got up that morning and I just started putting it on paper, like everything that had happened. And um, I was working my way towards the end of the story. And I got like four chapters in and I went, I think I'm going to write a book. Like you get four chapters in and you're like, this is, this looks like a book to me. And, uh, and so I, I went on my way and um, uh, about, let's see, it was almost a year ago. It was October of 2022 that I published my first book and it is a, um, a Christian fiction romance suspense novel. Um, and it, it's pretty interesting. I think I thought it was a pretty good story. Um, and the main character has some abilities to, to read people's micro expressions. Um, my background in psychology kind of, you know, played a role in, in yeah. some of this and the fact that, you know, people and, and reading people and understanding people, but it's a little more complicated than that. She can pick up on body language more clearly than just a normal person. You know, when I say micro expressions, I mean like the twitch of an eye that you don't know you're making and that kind of thing. Um, okay. And she has an experience where um, she she falls in love. There's a romantic suspense part involved. And, and also she um, she comes to know Jesus, which is like the main, you know, the best okay. part of the book. But then she also learns how to deal with life um, where there has to be hope on the other side of the really dark and ugly things, the, the parts of life that are hard. And so that's the theme of that first book. Um, and then the second book is just kind of a follow-up with some of the characters from the first book, just how, um, and you see a picture of God and hope and redemption and, and reclaiming all throughout the, the series. And so um, those, I don't want to give anything away. Like, I feel so weird talking about the the storyline. I'm like, what do I tell you? Cause I don't want to tell you how it goes and what happens, but at the same right. time, it's a really good book. <laughs> so you are continuing with this character, then the first book and then the second book. So it's a continuation, a development of this same character. It is. And uh, then there's, there's a third I book working that. its way through my head. I haven't quite, okay. you know, pounded out the details yet, yet but there's same, there will same be a character than the same character. We're following that line. So in the first book, you have Jess, who is, she's the main female character and she okay. marries Brian. Um, and then there's an FBI agent named Mark, um, who through Jess's relationship with Jesus comes to know God as well. Um, and Perfect. then book two follows more of Mark's story, really, but it is the same okay. set of characters. Just It's different. the same, the same world then. Yes. That's perfect. And I actually enjoy stuff like that. I am on, I don't know, but 117 of Janet Ivanovich's Stephanie Plum series. Yeah. However many there is. So I get addicted, right? Huh? 2,491. I am on that book. So I get addicted to the same characters and you feel like you know them. You know, yeah. like I feel like I could pick Stephanie Plum out of the crowd, you know, like, oh, she's my yes. girlfriend because I've read so many books of her. And so I love that you're developing that character. I've never done anything like that. I mean, I it's on my bucket list. I have a huge bucket list, but I love that. And now I'm wondering if you're trying to read my micro expressions and am I making any? So now I'm paranoid. <laughs> it's a little harder through the screen. It really is. Like there's a distance <laughs> and kind of thing. And I'm more of like, I have more of an intuition oh, yeah. type thing. Yeah, like, don't look at me. Um, oh, look. My, are my eyes twitching? Oh, no. 
I try, I try not to read people if there's not a reason to, you know, I, I can pick up on emotions. I can pick up on, yes. you know, just attitudes, that kind of thing, but I don't really read the micro expressions like the character does, but I, I do right, have an right. intuition that I use, especially it comes in handy when you're counseling people. So, you know, <laughs> have you always had that? Do you find that you've always kind of been intuitive since, I mean, I, like even yes. when you were growing up, is that kind of and, yes, and, I could usually tell you what was going to, not not like tell you what was going to happen, but I could tell you how somebody would react to something before they did. Um, one of my favorite stories to tell, I was an adult when this happened, but we met a man, um, he, he was going to our church and our very first Sunday that um, we visited, like we hadn't even joined the church. We visited this church. We went to Sunday school, met this man. And that sun, that morning I told my husband, I said, there's something about him. Like we got to watch out. We like, we're not, we're not his friend. And of course, you know, when I say that kind of stuff, it always comes across as, um, well, that's kind of rude, but he has finally learned after 20 years to accept when I tell him these things, but this was, we had only been married like maybe two years and he was like, what? And I was like, just trust me. Like there is something there. Um, and two years later, um, he was under church discipline for some, um, pretty bad behavior uh, that involved several other families. And now he's a Buddhist, um, living, in the woods somewhere you know like but there was just, there were some things <laughs> turn and move to the woods i know like it was a, a drastic swing but it was just kind of like he there was some just some misbehavior that he dragged other people into anyway but it was it's one of those things that i can i guess maybe my spirit talks to other people or feels other people's spirits i don't know it's very strange i'm thankful for the gift on the one hand but on the other hand it's it's a lot but yeah i've always that's, had that gift so that's almost like a super power actually it's, it, I it? like to think it's more of like discernment like a super discernment that God has blessed me or you know mm -hmm. burdened me with whatever <laughs> it's a, yeah. a gift so it's a gift of discernment it is sounds like a gift of discernment which is one of the spiritual gifts you know that yeah. sometimes gets misunderstood a little misunderstood it does it does, um, it does. and I mean it's a good one to have though we're all called to have discernment mine just is a little stronger sometimes Right. Well, what does the Bible say? Be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. As a dove. Mm -hmm. Harmless as a dove. So, but I think people leave that last part out. Be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Jesus doesn't mm -hmm. call Christians to go around harming other Christians, believers yeah. or non-believers with your words or your actions, whether that's right. in person or online. And that's, mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of opinions. I'm not an opinionated person. I don't, but that's one of my, that's my soapbox is you, it is not okay. Even through the keyboard to use your words to verbally hurt another person. If you disagree with that person, if it's not, if it's not going to make an immediate difference in your life, just move on. Yes, absolutely. That's, that is one thing. And I have always, I'm the opposite. I have always been very strongly opinionated and um, God has dealt with me, uh, you know, with, with the attitude, with the, um, the pridefulness is really what it comes down to, right? Like the, finding, finding yourself more superior or feeling superior to other people. And that has, um, that has, that takes its toll as well, because people stop listening, you know, when you get up in arms about things or, or when you, um, Think that your opinion is the only one that matters and so that has right. that was always a part of my my story and and just coming to yeah. realize that <laughs> grace and peace god doesn't just extend it to me he expects me to extend it to others and that's not always um, how i function <laughs> that's not always easy and yeah. i love that one of the 
one of the scriptures in the New Testament says, with the same ruler that you judge, that's the ruler that's going to be used on you. If you use a ruler that's this long, you're not willing to budge or have any wiggle room and you're judgmental, then then you better be sure that you fit in there. <laughs> because that's, that's right. your ruler. That's your ruler. And I think what I realized that I'm like, let me extend my ruler out. <laughs> let me yes. let go <laughs> right. And that's not to say that you can't stand on the Bible and say, yeah. you know, when people ask me, I've gotten this is my new answer, has been for several years. If people say, Well, how do you feel about this or how do you feel about that? My response is, you know, how I feel about it is completely irrelevant. I'm unimportant. Doesn't matter how I feel. Doesn't matter how I think or how it affects me. Let's see what God says about it. And then if you have a problem with what the word of God says, you need to take that up with God. I did not write that book. Yes, (laughs) exactly. That's I'm not as a writer myself. I don't want people changing my stories. You don't want people changing yours. He doesn't want people changing his. And so that's what I tell people like, I didn't write that book. If you have a problem with that, then you need to talk to him. Actually, he's available 24 seven. That's right. (laughs) What is that old song? Jesus on the main line. Go ahead and call him up. Call him up. up. (laughs) And so, you know, that's my, uh, yeah. So it doesn't matter. And I think that's when we need to step outside of ourselves and realize what I think doesn't matter to a hill of beans i'm nobody you know yes so right and it's hard because you know you want you want to to be right there's just something inside us innately like we don't want to be wrong um but at what cost because i know that in the past it it has cost me relationships my inability to you know to see outside of my own opinions and to see, you know, I'm not treating people with the love and the compassion that I was called to, to, to show people. And so, um, you know, it's it, just in the last, it's, it's probably been about 12 years, I guess, that it has really been an ongoing and just in the last five years, really, that it's all been put to the test. Maybe, maybe the last three years, if you will, it's really been put to the test. <laughs> really been put to the test. Right. And really, and I feel like Christians are just under this spotlight to see how we yes. will react. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, a yes. lot of us are not reacting correctly and it makes me go, oh, please yeah. do better, yeah. you know, do better. Yes. And, and, and a lot of Christians are like, well, they're not doing better. Well, they're not called to. That's right. <laughs> you, you, know, you, do you, <laughs> you do you, You do you. Only worry about yourself there. That's right. Um, but do better. But do you find that a lot of people's, your need, you said we have this NA and need to be correct, to be right. Does that because we want to be validated because we lack validation from other places, maybe because this world is getting to be where there's not a lot of positive reinforcement and validation really to go. There's not enough to go around. I don't think. I think that is a lot of it. I think that um, we see um, all of the really loud voices, whether they're right or wrong, getting praise and accolades. And sometimes we just, we find that we have this need to, we want that praise. We want those accolades. We want the Atta girls. We want the, um, the likes or the shares or the whatever's because people agree with us and it makes us look like something important. Um, I don't know if, if, it's true that it's because they didn't get it as a child, but you could probably guess that there's been expectations put on those who, who, you know, demand to be listened to, demand to be heard and demand to be right or, or counted as right. Um, you'd probably see that they were lacking that validation somewhere in their past. Um, right. Otherwise, 
you know, if you've got a healthy tank full of, you know, validation and approval from the people who matter right. most, you don't typically go out seeking it. Yeah. And I think I, that's one of my things. And we just discussed this in another podcast where I said, you know, healthy people don't hurt people. Healthy, mm -hmm. happy people don't hurt. It's hurting people that hurt other people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the basic, and you know, you're, that's a psych basic psychological principle, hurting people, hurt people. And so if you look at it from that perspective, that caused it, it caused me anyway, to look at people differently. When I, when people are nasty toward me or nasty toward a grocery store clerk, instead of thinking, Oh, that person is this or that. Now I can think that person is hurting inside. That's a miserable person. And what are they lacking? you know, whether you're right, whether that's from childhood or, or on up, but mm -hmm. uh, what can people, what do you think people could do if they, this is a hard question. If they didn't get that validation as a child and you can't just say run to God, because that sounds like an easy right. answer for me or you, but some people don't know how to do that. Right. What are some basic things that people could do if they didn't get that as a child, if they didn't have parents that gave that and some parents give the opposite. Some, some parents will focus on bringing you down. What could people do to get that validation that they really are seeking and those added girls and added boys? Um, well, you know, first and foremost is this is true just with, with any individual that you are having, maybe let's, let's say that I was counseling somebody who, who came with this question that the first step is you have to acknowledge that this is a problem and that you are seeking validation because you, that's what you want. Um, so, so first they have to acknowledge the fact that that's what they're after. Otherwise they're like, that's not me. I didn't want that. You know, I'm just, I'm just being me. I'm just out here doing, doing the thing. And um, so if they don't acknowledge the fact that they, they want to change that behavior, then they're not going to change that behavior, but say that they have acknowledged and said, Hey, I, you know, I find that I'm seeking validation in unhealthy relationships or in food or in, you know, whatever it may be likes, shares, addiction, what have you. Um, because that's a lot of what addiction is, is seeking validation, you know, their own feelings saying, Hey, I feel I, I want this and therefore I'm going to go get it. And it makes me feel it's all about our feelings. Um, I think that, to encourage them to find a community to plug into a healthy community, uh, a support group, even that kind of thing, um, and start there and acknowledge what's lacking. What, why am I seeking this validation? Um, it's really hard to, to push somebody into a situation that says, Hey, go find validation in a healthy place. When it's like, you don't really want them going to seek validation. I know that sounds bad, but it's like, <laughs> right. no, <laughs> it's feeding right. an addiction. It's feeding because that's what you're after. It, it hits that, that little center in your brain that says, oh, I've done something good and they recognize me for this. I need to keep doing this. And therefore I'm going to go continue to seek this. We have um, a young man in our church, just to share kind of an anecdote. He, um, he comes from his, his parents basically abandoned him. He's, he's a teenager and uh, he lives with his grandmother who can, could care less if he comes home kind of thing. But um, members in the church have really just embraced him and said, hey, we've got you. You need to ride to church. You need this. You know, let me help you get a job, that kind of thing. That's and um, so he's being raised by the church. The problem is he thinks that he needs to perform to receive the praise to continue to be accepted and to be loved and supported, right? So that's that's become his mentality is that um, I have to do all the things like, teach vacation Bible school music and be the loudest and funnest guy in the room, because that's what 
people want to see from me. Um, unfortunately, that becomes um, an addiction in what happens when people stop paying attention, right? You, you, your behavior escalates and he becomes the even louder kid in the room, even more, you know, fun guy in the room, which is not healthy um, for anybody right. in the room. And so what we have tried to focus on instead of saying, hey, bud, you're doing a great job saying, bud, I really love how you are um, interacting with those kids and giving them someone to look up to, you know, finding the character, the characteristics inside of him that, that matter more than just saying, we like you because you're a fun guy, you know? And so you have to surround yourself with people who are going to pull the best out in you and actually, um, tell you what matters inside of you, as opposed to just saying, you're so awesome, you know? Right. I, and I think that we live, I, Thing. this is just an opinion but it seems like we live in a world that's so full of conditional love conditional mm. friendship conditional mm-hmm. relationships that I feel like we do all of us at some point feel like we are performing and we have to perform to get to be this or be that or perform you know and and I we're just like and they say that life's a play and that all the world's a stage and for another part I pray because the show is the same way every day um, and I feel like on some level, we're all just performing and we don't understand unconditional love. And I, mm. I think that's part of why people don't understand God. I did not understand unconditional love until I had a child. It was that moment that I thought, is this how God loves me? Because if it is, this is really mm. cool. <laughs> like I am really, really loved because there's nothing this child could do. I don't love him because of the things he does. And so there's nothing he could do to cause me to unlove him. And that's still hard to get in my human brain that there's nothing I can do that would cause God to not love me. That's hard for me to get in my brain because of the mindset that I was raised in. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that this is every country. I've never lived in another country, but here in America, the whole you know, the mindset to do this or that, or even being raised in church, that's even one step higher, like to be this, Mm -hmm. to be that. And, and so it's such a conditional feeling that I think it's hard for people was hard for me to understand that God doesn't love you. His love is not based on conditions. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Um, We, we live, I think one of the ways that you know relationships friendships that kind of thing are real and genuine is that they're non-transactional right it's not a transaction for transaction I don't have to do for you for you to do for me Um, it happens because I want to because I love you and that's the thing with with God's love that it wasn't transactional there's absolutely nothing that I could do to earn his love or his forgiveness or his grace or anything Um, it was it it was a gift Um, it was something that He looked down and said, you can do nothing. Just like when your baby is born, you're like, that baby can't do a dadgum thing for you, except give you more gray hair. You know, like there is nothing they're going to do for you when they're born. But, Um, but yet you would take on an army for that baby. Yes, exactly. And that's what, that's, and that's exactly what God did. He said, you know, we're going to take on the armies of hell and, and we're going to, we're going to win obviously, but you know, we are going to face this because I love you and I'm going to defeat this because I love you. And it is hard and being raised in the church, my, my dad has been always will be a pastor before I was born. And after um, he's gone, he will die a pastor probably. But um, so I was raised in church. You're talking, you know, three times a week, minimum, we were in church. Um, And with, 
with yeah so you get it like there there's this this list of check boxes that it's like you have to live up to this 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 and this um and if you don't then you have failed and you are a bad person or you're not as good a christian as you could be or should be um and so you know church people like to use the word backslid you've heard the word backslid yeah she's she's backslid She I, knew a girl, um, I knew a girl one time that backslid eight times and I thought geez get it together I was just like you know in my head by oh. that time I was a teenager but they said you know she's backslid eight times and I wondered was she ever saved maybe maybe you don't understand salvation but anyway that's fine backslid right. that's a word in church if you if it you is. slip and fall you're backslid I saw her have a mm-hmm. beer with her pizza she's backslid <laughs> Right. You know, okay. I didn't so, mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, it, it's true though. Like we use these check boxes and we're like, if you don't match this standard and I'm like, I'm sorry. It, and honestly, it wasn't until I was 30 years old, like, and I, it was almost an epiphany. And it, I mean, it was right around my, my 30th birthday that I had this epiphany of Jennifer, like grace exists for a reason. Um, and it's not because you've deserved it. It's not because you've earned it. And, and when I say grace, I'm talking about God's unmerited favor. You know, he says, um, my grace is sufficient for you. And he's like, you know, but God rich in his mercy died while we were still sinners. That's his grace. You know, like that, that's, that's, I couldn't do anything to earn that. And, and so if I can't earn God's grace, then why do I care about earning man's approval? (laughs) You right. know, like there's <laughs> so well I don't know. think you, you can't earn either so just yeah. let it go and let it be and I wish that the, the feeling of knowing that you are loved just because you are loved it's a no. it's an odd feeling it's a hard thing to accept once you accept it it's a great feeling and so I good. want people to know it yeah yes. and that's what I try to tell people like I want you to know Jesus not because I think you're doing a b c and d wrong and I want you to change. This has nothing to do with that. I want you to know Jesus because I want you to know this feeling. I want yes. you to know this freedom. I'm like the woman at the well. I want you to know this man that knew everything I did, that knew all of my shame and never throws it up in my face ever. I want you to know this man that never brings my past to me, that never says, I told you so, or, you know, but through all my failures and every time I fall, which is sometimes several times a week, and he just picks me up and dusts me off and cleans me up like he would a little two-year-old, you know, and we just move on. (laughs) That's amazing. And I want people to know that, you know, and, and uh, so, yeah, that was, that would be my message to, to unbelievers is It's Mm -hmm. not that I think that you're wrong and I'm right. And I need you to believe like I believe it's, I want you to know this man that loves you, even in your mess, you don't have to clean up to come over here. You don't have to clean up to come over here. One of the the biggest reasons that, you know, yes, absolutely. Freedom is huge. There is something to be said for not living under those check boxes, under that legalism, under those burdens of, you know, check, 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 do all these things. Um, But also the hope that's on the other side of the dark, the hope that is on the other side of the sad, the hope that's on the other side of the grief. Um, That that's the side that um, I came from was, um, 
I dealt with uh, postpartum psychosis after my kiddo was born and it was, it was dark. It was so dark. It was, and, and again, I knew Jesus, I had Jesus, but I pushed him back one. I was not in my right mind. I was mentally incapacitated in, in some ways. And uh, so, but when I was reminded that my hope is not found in earthly counselors and my hope was not found um, in, in my husband and it wasn't found in my motherhood. It was found in Jesus. When I had that realization, when, when he struck me like a lightning bolt one day, um, he was like, hello, I'm right here. <laughs> you know, like I haven't gone anywhere. You did. Um, but like that, he, he pulled me through that grief and he pulled me through the grief of failed adoptions. Then he pulled me through the grief of infertility and he pulled me through, you know, he was always there on the other side when I made it through those rushing rapids, when I was, you know, feeling like, where's my life preserver. He's like, waiting for you right here. You know, he's, he's <laughs> right. always been right there. And for whatever reason, you know, even as Christians, we lose sight of that because we get so focused on me. I've got to do this on my own. And it's no, like his power is there. His grace is sufficient. He cares, you know, put them all on him kind of thing. And so, um, so yeah, between the freedom and the hope and everything in between, like, that's why I want people to know who Jesus is, which is why I write what I write, you know, like, will all of my books be Christian fiction? Probably not. But the ones that specifically are, you were going to find the gospel all throughout and, uh, you know, whether now, it's through. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, saying, I, whether my, it's, no, I don't try to good. interrupt. I'm real ADD. And so I get, you're okay, good. go ahead. Just go ahead. Don't, don't, don't forget your thought. Don't forget what you were thinking. But I'm just going to say like, I'm you know, all it. throughout, you're going to find the, you're going to find there's happy times. We lean on Jesus. There's sad times. We lean on Jesus. There's hard times. Absolutely. We lean on Jesus all the time. All the time. You, you, the anchor holds. That's what I always say. The anchor holds. The, the ship's been battered. Mm, That's old Ray Bolt. It's an old Ray Bolt <laughs> Ray song. Bolt. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, did you, are you traditionally published or did you self-publish and tell us a little I about it? So let's, I tried traditional talk publishing. <laughs> I tried for that. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky game that people it that is. are outside of this don't have any idea of the ins and outs and the hoops you have to jump through and the red tape and the uh, dairy ears you may have to kiss. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and but with self-publishing, that's traditional publishing, all the red hoops, self-publishing, you don't have to do all those things, but comes a whole nother it's a whole nother monster. Let's talk about that. It what, is. what has no, been your experience yeah. and what are you doing? So I, uh, I started out, you know, no idea. I've got this manuscript and I sent it to an editor and I was like, now what do I do with it? You know, I at least knew that I needed somebody to edit it because I get comma happy or I leave commas out. I'm mostly comma happy. Like I like commas and I use them everywhere. Um, just in case I don't want to leave one out. And so, <laughs> um, you know, I knew that I needed an editor because I knew that I had commas galore and I needed that dealt with among other things. And so um, after that, I was like, okay, so Google, <laughs> what do I do now that I want to publish a book? And they're like, you find an agent. Uh, okay, great. I need a list of agents. And so there was this, all of these agents listed and I contacted all of them. It was probably, it was close to a hundred of them that, uh, you know, and all of them ask for different things. It's not a streamlined process. You're just like constantly <clears throat> sending letters and some of them want three pages and some of them want three chapters and some of them want this. And then the rejection letters start rolling in and you're just like, oh man, I am not good at this. This is clearly <laughs> not my calling. And you're like, I should just go bury myself under a rock. What am I doing? And then I had one agent, she was like, oh, interesting. Now send me this and send in like five months into it. Finally, I was just like, 
here's the entire manuscript just ask for it next time and so she read it and she's like I just don't think I'm ready for this right now and I was like hmm. so that was kind of the straw that that broke the camel's back if you will and um and I said okay what do I do to publish this for myself? Um, because, you know, that that was several, several, several months of trying. And and even still, if I had been picked up by an agent, it could have still been 12 to 24 months before anything ever happened with it. And I was like, we're going to move this along a little faster. Um, and so I decided that I could, once I did all of my research, as I do, Amazon was there, Ingram Spark was there, and I merged the two things and I did all the stuff. And then it was like, how do I get people to read my book? <laughs> you know, like I've put them out there. And so then you have to start learning how to do all the marketing and all of the social media and all of this, that, and the other. And that's kind of where the podcast came into play as I was like, you know, that's um, not only is it like a secondary income stream or what have you when, when you're, you're monetizing, but then you're also creating a network of people that um, will then share your stuff. Then they share your stuff and they share. And so it becomes a networking type deal. And um, so it, it's been a learning That's curve great. and then by, yeah, it's been good though, because there is such, I am a, I am a control freak and I like to have the last word in some things. And so I learned that self-publishing was the right move for me because I do get the last say in all of the creative decisions that get made. And I do have a say in how my brand looks when I market it. I don't have to, you know, rely on somebody to tell me, Hey, this is how you have to market your book. And, you know, apparently in traditional publishing, you still do a lot of that same work. Um, it's just a little bit different. You have somebody else's money to do it with, which is nice, but in, you know. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, people don't, I think that a lot of, and maybe this will encourage people who are kind of riding the fence and don't know, you know, everybody wants to be traditionally published, traditionally published. And you don't realize that unless you are Stephen King, even if you're traditionally published, you're going to do your own marketing. Yeah. <laughs> They're yes. going to expect you to do your own social media. You're going to show up at your own bookstores. You're going to do your own phone calls. You're going to do your own emails. They expect you to market. And while some agents and, and publishing companies will ask you, what's your marketing strategy? What are you going to do to get your book out there? And I'm thinking, well, at this point, if I have to do all the work, why are you keeping 40%? Yeah, I don't understand exactly. what's up. You want me to do all the work? I can do it. But then I think that if I'm doing all the work, I should get the money. But, um, and there are so many smaller publishing companies. It, it's just a whole world. And I feel like I watched, we all watched the indie film industry take off huge, right? And I mean, they have these festivals and everything for these indie huge and being from Eastern Kentucky and in the music scene, I have watched the indie music scene in Kentucky and mm -hmm. Texas with Zach Bryan, Parker McCollin, Tyler Childress, just take off huge. Mm -hmm. Nobody needs a record company. I think this little dude, Oliver Anthony from West Virginia, just proved this. Nobody needs these big record companies, just huge indie music scene, just taking off. And I had said several <laughs> years ago to my son, who has published a couple of books and he's comma happy too. I do his editing. It's a mess. <laughs> he run on sentence King, just like commas, commas, commas. And I'm like, you can make, let's make three sentences out of this. Yes. <laughs> yes. But anyway, he loves commas. That's what I told him. I said, I'm going to get you a t-shirt for Christmas. That's comma King. He said, I love them. I'm like, I know you do. <laughs> French, she was like, just throw commas around like glitter. And I'm like, that's just, right. It's glitter. <laughs> that's what he does. But anyway, so I told him several years ago when he was kind of facing the same thing, he had this manuscript. And I said, I believe in my heart 
that the, we've watched the indie film and indie music, indie books are next. So the publishing companies need to get it together. Heads up. We don't need them. We're not going to need them. They're almost obsolete anyway. And this indie book market is just fixing to blow up and be huge. And I'm so glad that you are on the first wave and he's on the first wave and you guys kind of know what to do. And so he actually started a publishing company called Scallywag Publishing, where he helps others know how to self-publish. And he helps people do that because a lot of people want to self-publish and have no idea how, because it is also its own little beast. You know, you have to learn how to format and you have to learn about Ingram Spark and Amazon and all the different stuff and how to market. And so he has really done well with indie publishing too. And so I love to meet other um, and of course I have had some people on that are traditionally published and there's nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. nothing wrong with either. It's just whatever God leads you to, but I'm so glad to see that. Um, I encouraged him kind of for one of the reasons, the same reason you said, I said, well, look here, I call him Bub, like, because I'm a hillbilly. So I said, look here, Bubba. Um, when, if you do find a literary agent and you are traditionally published, you are going to lose a lot of these creative freedoms that you have over your characters and he said no I'm not they're not going to make me do anything I don't want to do I said hmm they will they're going to want the copyrights to this book no they're not getting it and I said okay then I think for creative license and purposes it depends on how much control you need to have over your world and your characters mm -hmm. thank you that sometimes indie is the best way to go but I agree. And I think, you know, there's, there are so many in-betweens too, you know, you have your small publishers that, that, that will also, um, they're kind of a hybrid publishing company. And I've talked to several owners of hybrid publishing companies um, over on the, the podcast where um, they, the author still has last say, they still have final control, but they help you move through the process. They have the editors, they have the cover designers, that kind of thing, but the author still has the final control over everything. So that's nice too. That's so there's an option. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where he's heading with his because he has nice. a whole he has a whole team of people, mm -hmm. uh, illustrators and editors and formatters. And he has spent years creating this team that are just so good. And he just helps people kind of move along. But he does not he's not trying to control any of your creative content. He's literally just there. So yeah, that hybrid publisher, that's mm -hmm. kind of where his heart was at and kind of what he does too. So there are, yeah, those two where, and then you don't even have to have, of course, we looked into buying like some book printing presses and being able to print the books here, um, like in a warehouse or close to us or office space, but it was just cheaper to actually yeah. even outsource that. And so you don't, you know, you know, it's a whole big thing that you got to get in but that's that's not even why I started this uh podcast and that's the first time I've ever mentioned his um his little publishing company and he'll probably be mad at me he he might edit it out no I think it's a good thing I think it's it's something that um indie authors need to know as a, is an option because sometimes it is yeah. overwhelming trying to do it all yourself especially like I have the flexibility of working from home not everybody can work right. from home they have to go to work and that's eight hours of your day away from and right. sometimes you know you want to focus on the writing and you want somebody else to help you through the other stuff and that's that is huge that's important that's why I do what I do is to help create right. that network for creatives to say hey there are people there willing to walk alongside you let's build a community let's build a tribe so that you're not stuck doing it by yourself 
That's right. And I, and I found, especially with people that contact him is a lot of times people say over the age of 50 that struggle yeah. with technology. They aren't, weren't raised in this technology. They just have absolutely yes. no idea. It's overwhelming and they're daunted and he is so good with them. He's good with those older women. And I've, we found some brilliant people that write these magnificent poems and have written good books and they're everywhere. And you know that there is, and that's what you're trying to uncover. That's what I'm trying to unearth. Yeah. That's what we're doing here on both our podcasts yes. is there are everyday people right now sitting in the living room that have written books better than anything on the shelf that have mm -hmm. written songs better than anything on the radio that can sing, uh, you know, like a songbird that can paint pictures that will blow your mind. There are these creative geniuses. They just don't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. And, and they're just undiscovered talent. The world is full of it. I had not that I'm that talented at all, but just to go back to when you said you were daunted with all the analytical aspects, when you're creative, a lot of times you're super right brain. Like yes. I walk around my brain this heavy. I don't, I can't get into this. Like yes. this looks like this is my clean corner. I'll never show you the rest of my house. Same. <laughs> right. Same. Right. And so because, and I had a, a woman one time in Lexington, Kentucky, and I was talking to her and just talking about, oh, I had this idea and I had that idea and this is what I'm doing. And I wrote this and I wrote that and I was playing her a song. And she said, oh, you know what, Grace, if you had a business manager, you could be a millionaire. I said, oh, there's no doubt. Because <laughs> right? it's the business part that I have a problem with. And it's the business part that truly creative people have a problem yes. with we can't I can't and all this stuff that these literary agents wanted me to do I was like are you kidding me I can't even I I can't keep my laundry folded and you want me to send you what <laughs> yes, <laughs> can't do that exactly and yes, I'm thinking that's... that's what you're supposed to be for I'm trying to get you so you can do this for me and now you want like, all this for me I can't do this and I'm supposed had... to pay you to do what I was supposed to pay you and then send you yeah. all this stuff. Are you kidding? So Jeez. that's right. And creative people can't, we don't have that business mindset. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you a quick story about there's a woman named Donna Sue Groves and she's passed away, but uh, she started the Appalachian, she started the quilt trail. You see those barn quilts? Yeah. Okay. So she was a dear friend of mine and she, lived in Adams County, Ohio, and she paid some out-of-work painters, beautiful woman. She uh, ran the Ohio Arts Council for years, and she wanted to help. She had these out-of-work painters, and she helped all kind of out-of-work artists, and she just had a heart for, for art and creative people, and she thought, what can I want to pay these boys to do something, and she wanted to pay tribute to her mother, Maxine, Maxine Quilts, and has all these quilts hanging, and I don't know if Maxine may still be alive, and so she had these painters in Adams County, Ohio, paint this quilt square on Maxine's barn. You see where that's at now? Yeah. I, it's all over. I'm up here in Northeastern Iowa and there's barn quilt squares everywhere. And I thought this to me, and I, she was a precious friend of mine and such a living example of how one person can literally change the world without even meaning to, because she certainly didn't mean to. But I, when I, before I met her, somebody set us up in uh, a meeting and she was going to come to my house and read some of the stuff I had written. And I thought, okay, I have Donna Sue Groves coming over. I need to clean. 
weeks before. And then this got to be week before, days before I need to clean. Do you want to know, Jennifer, that house never got cleaned ever. And when this woman came in, it was so embarrassing. She actually had to pick up a stack of books and papers out of one of my kitchen chairs and move it to be able to sit down. And I was embarrassed because I was young. I was in my early 20s. And I said, I am so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. And I started trying. I was going to make excuses like we do. Mm -hmm. And she said, honey, stop. This is exactly how I expected this apartment to look. If I came in here and everything was clean, I would have questioned your writing ability. She said, every writer's house I've ever been in has looked just like this. And, you know, that made me feel okay with who I was. Mm -hmm. Um and not that it's okay to have a disgusting house. You need to try to keep up with the dishes and laundry. But I think that made me okay with who I am because my family, nobody's creative. And they made me feel like something yeah. was wrong with me, that I couldn't <laughs> keep a perfect house. And she made me feel like it's okay. You're just a different type of person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we we are. We do tend to have uh, so much going on upstairs that everything around us kind of gets neglected a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so ADD. I can start on one thing and I have 15 projects going at one time. And that's just right. kind of how my <laughs> I get that. N none of them are finished. Don't I? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they're, they're going. They're going. Okay. How's it going? It's going. That's what I say. But that's right. So, okay. Indy, so tell us, what is your podcast called again? Connected Conversations for Creatives. That's perfect. Three C's. You got the, the three, three same vowel sounds. Very important. Yes. You know, yes. and, um, right. and connected conversations. Yeah. Connected Conversations for Creatives. I love that. Mm -hmm. And tell us what your books are called. Uh, the first book is called No Matter What, and the second book in the series is called The Lost and Found. Okay, and we are going to put those links in the description of the podcast, um, and we'll even, I'll even link your podcast if you want me to. Okay, I, there's sure. no, there ain't no shame in my game. I don't <laughs> care. I don't care to share. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen no, that's my what I'm podcast, all about. Listen to Jennifer's podcast, get that's something, right. right, collect up some information from each. It's It's fine. But uh, thank you so much for coming on. I've had such a great time visiting with you. And, and to know that you're in Calera has just thrilled my heart. So, <laughs> so wild. <laughs> I know. I know. We grew up Pelham Panthers because everybody in Helena, and I don't know, they might have high school now, but back in the day, if you lived in Helena, you had to go to high school in Pelham. So they, do. they have a nice um, big high school now. So yeah. Do they in Helena? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So back in the day, you had to go to Pelham to school. And so that's kind of wild. I miss it. That's, you know, I, my heart is torn between Eastern Kentucky and, and Shelby County, Alabama, because they're both my homes. I grew up kind of half and half and straddle that. But, um, so what last words would you like to, to leave everybody with today? Do you have any last sentiments? You don't have to, you can just say peace oh. out, but if you have a final thing, <laughs> let's hear it. Um, I guess I would just encourage listeners that, and just based on our conversation and, and probably one of the highlights is that it doesn't matter how hard, how ugly, how um, unkind the world gets. If you will just cling to Jesus, like there will always be hope on the other side. Like there's always hope on the other side. That's right. 
There's always a reason to wake up tomorrow. That's what That's I tell right. people. Suicide's one of my heartbreak issues to be that hopeless. Never, ever be that hopeless because tomorrow mm -hmm. needs you. The world That's needs right. you and you have a place. So, okay. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. It's such a great time. I mean, just thank unexpectedly you. great. Unex really. Yes. I mean, not that I don't know what I was expecting, but really unexpectedly great time. So thank you so it much. Was. Thank you yeah. for this opportunity <laughs> to be on this side of the mic. I like it on this side be just on this as much. Side. <laughs> I like that. And, uh, and we'll keep in touch and, uh, I'll get yeah. your stuff all linked. And so, okay. All right. Well, have a wonderful afternoon down there in Alabama. Stay cool. Cause I know September's hot down there. Yes. We're in, we're in second summer. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's hot. Okay. All right. Good night. Bye. Have a great one. Thank Bye. you. Bye.